Lord, help, help us to hear what you're saying. Respond. Well, um, this morning we're going to continue to talk about, uh, we've been talking about for several weeks now, this, this question of human desire. What do I actually want? What kind of life do I want? And, and the argument we've been making in, is, is that we're wired for God in his kingdom. We're talking about desiring Jesus today. And Jesus is the clearest expression we have of what God is like. Hebrews 1.3 says that, that in Jesus, the prophets spoke to us, but now God has spoken to us in his son, who's the exact representation of his being. We want to know what God's like. Look at Jesus. So that's why we talk about Jesus so much. We love Father, Son, and Spirit, but Jesus is the doorway in that we can have relationship with the Father by the Spirit. And so God and His kingdom, His way of doing things, is what our hearts actually desire. The more we get to know the way God runs the universe, the better it becomes. In, in the, the middle of the Psalms in the 90s, right around 96, 97, 98, there's all these times where it says, the earth rejoices because God is coming to judge the earth. That the earth is rejoicing that God is coming to judge the earth. Why? Because he sets it right. It's like your back's out of joint and here comes God to fix it. And so we want to look at Jesus' life because Jesus is the king of the kingdom who, who all these chapters in the gospels that lead up to the cross, cross, death, and resurrection is absolutely essential. But all the stuff that Jesus did prior to that wasn't just a kind of a wandering narrative that we don't know, just a prelude. He's actually demonstrating what it looks like to live under God's rule in God's kingdom. So that's why we're looking at Jesus' life is to say, if that's the life I want, what does it look like? Today happens to be uh, in the church calendar what we call Transfiguration Sunday. And so we're actually going to look at the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And here's the question we're going to try to address, is how kingdom authority works. We talked about authority a couple Sundays ago, that Jesus has all authority. He offers that authority to those who are in him. But how does that authority work? Here's why it's important for you to know that. The way God stewards, the way God demonstrates and uses power, that's another way to say what we're talking about. If we don't understand how God uses power, we will misunderstand what he's doing in the world and we'll misunderstand what he's doing in our lives. So, so th this is really, really important stuff, especially when there's all kinds of power dynamics going on in the world right now. Sound good? It doesn't matter. I'm still saying what I'm going to say. <laughs> doing whether you like it or not. So we're going to read from the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, Jesus' transfiguration moment. And Jesus, we're reading about you. Will, you. will you talk to us today? Will you, by the Holy Spirit, you said in John 16, that the Spirit would take from what belongs to you and give it to us. So the very spirit that was in the disciples who are face-to-face -face right next to you is in us and on us and around us right now to reveal Jesus to us. So, Lord, will you do that for us now? 
And if you're open to him doing that, we just say amen. Amen. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. (laughs) Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw any with them, anyone with them, except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man, which he's talking about himself, had risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So, here's what we're going to look at. What just happened? Why did it happen? And how does that apply to me? Can you follow that? What just happened? Why did it happen? How does that apply to me? We'll start with this. What, what just happened? Go verse by verse just to show you a little bit of what's happening. We see after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. In the history of Israel, in God's history with humanity, mountains were really important places of encounter between humanity and God. Here's just a few of them. You see that Eden was a mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Carmel, Tabor, and a bunch of other mountains. Interestingly enough, in the story of Moses uh, in Exodus 24 of God revealing himself on Mount Sinai, Moses was waiting for six days before he went up the mountain. So we see this here after six days. God revealed himself. And so Jesus is on this mountain. He's with his guys. And all of a sudden, bam, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Which, that's a really interesting description, isn't it? That's when you know, I don't know what else to say. It's cool, like in, in, I think it was Matthew, it said, it was like a flash of lightning. That kind of bright. And so what's fascinating about what they're seeing right now is Moses had the same experience when he was on the mountain with God. That his face became radiant. And then Daniel has a vision of the Ancient of Days uh, while Daniel's in Babylon and he sees this Ancient of Days God. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. We've got to remember that these are good Jewish boys who know the scriptures inside and out and they're seeing things they've only heard about at this moment on this mountain. There appeared before them Elijah and Moses who are talking with Jesus, which is shocking, right? These are like the guys. And we come to find out that Moses encountered God on a mountain called Mount Sinai. And that Elijah encountered God on the same mountain. When Elijah was so discouraged about the prophets of Baal, he disappeared and basically said, just let me die. And God said, why don't you come to this mountain? I'll appear to you there. And it was Mount Sinai. It says horrid in the text, but it's the same mountain. 
Another thing that's fascinating to notice in this moment is we typically associate the law with Moses, right? It was on this mountain of Sinai that God gave the law to Israel through Moses. And then what's also fascinating is Elijah, it, it, for, for the, by the time Jesus was around, the idea that Elijah would be the prophet of all prophets who tells about the coming of the Messiah was common expectation from Malachi and 2 Kings. And so this kind of crazy moment is happening. All these images and all this history is converging on this one moment for these guys of just thinking, what do we do with this? And of course, Peter, as Peter is often verbally processing, <laughs> before he really thinks through what's going down, says, let's, let's put up three shelters for you guys, which sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Of the first, but actually, it wasn't that strange, because this is what happened on Mount Sinai. God gave them a tabernacle, said, "I'm going to hang out with you. Why don't you erect a tabernacle?" And also, what came out of that was the festival of booths, where they would remember their wilderness wanderings. So, so maybe that was lodged somewhere in his brain, and it still wasn't the smartest thing to say, but it kind of made a little bit of sense to him. And then all of a sudden a cloud appeared and covered them. And, and we see cloud is so common of the presence of God on a mountain, elsewhere. And then we also, he says a voice came from the cloud. See in Exodus 24, Moses hears God's voice from the cloud. First Kings 19, Elijah hears God's voice in the middle of this time on Mount Sinai. And here's what's profound about this moment. A voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I know you just saw Moses. I know you just saw Elijah. I know that all the law and the prophets are summarized in these two guys. I know you just see this picture of God. Here's who to listen to, my son. Whoa. This is a profound moment, right? And so then the, all of a sudden, the, those guys are gone. The cloud's gone. There's just Jesus. He's there, and he's walking down the mountain. He just says off to his side, hey, don't tell anybody about this Tom raised from the dead. <laughs> I know how some of you are. You can barely keep a secret like in a Christmas present. <laughs> They're like, what do we do with this? So this is a little bit of just giving you context for what just happened. So it was a really thick experience. Does that make sense? It, it, it just, a lot was going on, especially for these good Hebrew boys, Jewish boys that are like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on all at once here. But here's, here's a really challenging question. Why did that happen? And, and so I'm going to offer just a couple ideas because I'm sure there's more to it than I po could possibly figure out. But there's a couple things that were, that were pretty noticeable. The first was that it's, definitely demonstrating the identity of Jesus as the king, as the Messiah, as the one that the prophet Elijah would be speaking of, that summarizes all of the law that Moses brought, that is embodying all of these experiences they're seeing that indicates God is here. And then they hear the voice saying, listen to Jesus over Moses and Elijah. So certainly th this moment for these three guys was one to go, I think, I think he's the Messiah. 
But here's a really, really critical question. Why did this transfiguration moment happen right at this time in the story? Because it's kind of weird. It's kind of in the middle of the story. And then Jesus says, don't talk about it till I'm raised from the dead. And, and that's what I want to focus on for just a few minutes. So we'll, we'll look at before the tra- transfiguration. The very first verse of Mark, and I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, is Mark's, Mark's saying, here's why I'm writing this. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the King, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we see for the first eight chapters, Mark is demonstrating all the stuff Jesus did to show you this is the guy. This is the king, the Messiah. He's, got, he, he's casting out demons. He's healing people. He's forgiving sins. He's reinterpreting the law. He's changing the weather. And even matter, when they, twice, he, he's 5,000 people and 4,000 people, he feeds from just a little bit of bread and fish. And so, so Mark is, for, for the first eight chapters of his gospel, demonstrating Jesus is the guy. And it kind of culminates in this moment where he's talking to his disciples. He says, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. Well, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Fascinatingly, this is right in the middle of the book of Mark. But then Jesus does, he makes a move here that throws his guys off. Right after this, they're like, yeah, Jesus says, yes, you're right. I am the Messiah. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, which he's referring to himself, also refers to Daniel 7 with that ancient of days and the Son of Man thing. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and three days rise again. He's explaining. Great, you know I'm the Messiah. Here's what's going down. And here's Peter's response to Jesus' explanation of his mission. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Jesus, I'm afraid you've misunderstood what Messiah means. Let me help you. Let me explain to you. This is not the way it's going to go down. And then Jesus' response is, whoa, he's turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And <laughs> I don't know how Peter's feeling right about this moment. Then Jesus Then he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoa. Super confusing to the disciples at this point. Then Jesus intros, this is an intro right before the transfiguration. He says, some of you guys are going to not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Then there's the transfiguration. So so some of you guys, Peter, James, and John, are going to see the kingdom of God has come with power. So there's the transfiguration. And then after it, 
Here's really fascinating. What, why did Jesus say this? As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, that would have been challenging enough, right, just to keep, keep a lid on it. But this is actually the response. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what raising from the, from the dead meant. <laughs> Jesus is using metaphors all the time. What, what is this metaphor? I mean... They literally did not know what he was talking about. And we see this pattern. We see this pattern that seems to be connected to this, their expectation of what a Messiah is like and what Jesus was doing. So Jesus, again, a little bit later, he's teaching his disciples. He says to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is the second time he said that. And now at this point, they did not understand what he meant, but they were afraid to ask him about it. Last time we got called Satan. <laughs> but here's what's fascinating. Watch what the disciples do right on the, right on the tail of this statement. They're on this journey. Jesus has said this. They come to Capernaum, and when they get to the house, he asks them, what are you guys arguing about on the road? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> guys, Jesus is the Messiah, man. Who do you think is going to be like vice Messiah? <laughs> I probably will now. I will. And I kick your butt right now. <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, guys, come over here. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And they're like, cool. So then Jesus later, just a few, the next chapter, chapter 10, he takes the 12 aside. This is the third time. Tells him what's going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Third time through. So here's literally the next verse, the disciples' response. Yeah, cool, Jesus. James and John came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. He just said, They're going to mock me, spit on me, kill me. I'm going to die, and then I'll be raised from the dead. And they said, Okay, cool. Can I be your vice messiah? I mean, immediately. And so Jesus' response is, is really telling. He says, Guys, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism, uh, baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. <laughs> Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, is, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Now, right about then, the other disciples are cluing in. They're like, what? Now, they're indignant with James and John, but the question is, why? 
Are they indignant because, oh, Jesus didn't hear until he was going to die? I don't think so. They're like, darn it, man. Why didn't I ask Jesus first? In other versions, in, in, in Luke, in Matthew, here's what's pathetic. James and John asked their mom to ask Jesus. They, she was the first helicopter parent that we know of in Christian history. I don't know, Mom. He kind of called us Satan last time. Can you ask him? And Jesus calls them all together and says, guys, 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 guys. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus, a little bit later, says to the guys who are so interested in playing a part of power with him, guys, you're all going to fall away. It's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And in response, Peter insists, no way, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. But we know how the story goes. Then everyone deserted him and fled. This moment that Jesus has been talking about, this, this, this journey that nobody is catching on to when it happens, their visions of Messiah are shattered and they run so then when the story goes on we have the transfiguration then we have we have um jesus dying a cruel death on a roman cross but then jesus coming back from the dead appearing to his disciples now something fascinating happens here we see the disciples start to talk about Jesus and what he's done. And remember this. Jesus had told them, don't talk about this transfiguration moment until you see the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Well, here's Peter's first sermon that we know about in Acts 2. He's talking about Jesus and his death. And he said he's actually talking to the very people who are responsible for putting Jesus to death. And he said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God knew what he was doing. Then at the, at the temple in Acts 3, after Peter and John healed this guy, and he's, he's preaching again about Jesus. He said, this is how, in Jesus' death, how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And then we see Peter later Okay, no, this is, the, yeah, Peter and James and John and his guys, they got threatened uh, by the religious leaders to say, don't ever teach again in the name of Jesus. And they get together and pray, and this is what they say to God. God, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
something's very different. So that, that eventually Peter writes letters. He writes two letters that we have, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, to churches of people that are suffering. They're suffering for their faith. And tr- he's trying to say, guys, this is, this is normal. Hang on. And here's how I know it. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. See, this is after the resurrection now. This is after Jesus said, now you can share this. All of a sudden, Peter understands something he didn't before. And the question is, what happened? Well, one of the things I think he realized is this, is that kingdom authority loses to win. The kingdom authority, the the way that God handles power is he loses to win. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus clearly had all kingdom authority at the transfiguration. We just got a moment of unveiling, of revealing. This is who this actually is. And God himself says, listen to this is my son. That's going to set off in their minds Psalm 2 and other places that the Messiah is God's son. Listen to him. But then Jesus, with the authority, freely chooses to die. John 10, 17 through 18. Jesus had said this to the disciples earlier, but they obviously didn't get it. He says, you know what my father loves me? Because I lay my life down, only to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And then Jesus, when he's raised, he still has authority, but now he can give it to others. We see Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is now mine. Why? What's different? He's fully human. Has buried. Siri just went crazy on me. Okay, not helpful. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Ephesians 2, 6, 6 says that those who are in Christ are seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of God with the same authority. So we notice this fascinating thing. Why did this happen? What, it, it happened, I believe, to demonstrate that kingdom authority, God's way of using his power, is he loses to win. Believe it or not, I'd written this sermon before I realized it was Super Bowl Sunday. I'm absolutely serious. That's how little clueless I am. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. It's really bad font. Sorry. Yeah. So how does that apply to me? This is, this is where it gets fun. How does this apply to me? Well... Here's what Jesus said just before the transfiguration when he, was, he had been rebuked by Peter for misunderstanding what it was that a Messiah would do with his power. 
he'd said to these guys, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Something I really want to point out, especially as we apply it to ourselves. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. How this whole applies to us is that my kingdom authority loses to win. The authority that I get to share with Jesus, his road for exerting that authority is by losing to win. This just doesn't get the crowds whipped up, I'm noticing. I'm noticing it's a little anticlimactic on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, critical words here were for Jesus and the gospel. What I'm not saying is that in every situation you need to lose to be a Christian. But what I'm saying is we are giving our lives away for Jesus and his good news, his kingdom order, his way of doing the world. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. It's good news that the longing of the human heart is fulfilled, that justice and healing and equity and all these kind of things that we try to fix on our own are only fixed through Jesus, only fixed through his death and resurrection and the power of his spirit so that we can decide, okay, in this situation, if if. If, if, if I'm going to exert authority, there's the, the, the first thing I'll always lose is I, ha, I am never having an authority, any authority, unless it's submitted to his authority. So you'll notice, if you're in disobedience to Jesus, you carry no authority. Have you ever noticed this? When you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, your prayers just don't go that great. <laughs> right? You know, it's just like, like, it's just a matzo ball right in front of you. So at the very least, we always bow our knee to have any authority. We have no authority. It's all shared from Jesus. It's his authority always. And for his sake, for his sake, for the sake of Jesus, for his glory, for, for his... It, so that doesn't mean that every, you're like, uh, you know, you shouldn't contest a traffic ticket. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if it will glorify Jesus clearly and he's talking to you about it, then you better lose. (laughs) And the reason we're not afraid to do that is because losing with Jesus always leads to resurrection. We relinquish the power over our lives to his infinite power that is the power of an indestructible life. We're having this moment where we say, I will relinquish control to your authority, trusting myself to you. Peter said in his first letter that Jesus, when he was yelled at, spit at, didn't respond. Instead, he trusted himself to the one who judges justly, his father. So, how does this apply to me? A dear friend of mine, Andrea Hogue and I were having coffee. Come on, Andrea. Um, on Thursday, my brother gave me this hat um, for Christmas. 
that says, warning, I'm a pastor and everything you say may be used in a sermon. (laughs) And so Andrea and I were having coffee, and as she was talking to me, I thought, this would be a great testimony. And so I asked her, and she's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll share it. So so I asked Andrea to talk. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the very sermon I'm talking about this Sunday. So Andrea used to be our children's leader. She runs, I always say you run Care Portal. You run the world, really. But, yeah, <laughs> at least that's how Chris and I feel from time to time. But um, let's welcome Andrea Hope. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would like to just put a disclaimer. There is no way I run the world at all. I do work for an organization called 111 Project, and we do Care Portal, yes. But um, So I, ha- I have to be really honest with you. This, I, I have lots of stories I could tell you, and this one is one that brings me, like, fear and trembling, this testimony. I'd rather tell you about, like, the abuse I suffered as a child than this. It's deeply personal to me. And I want to frame it for you um, with a sense of, well, I think the most controversial thing that can be preached in the church today is the authority of God. And the authority of Jesus as the head of his church. It makes people uncomfortable. And this one is about our church. And it's about me and our church and our leadership. And I want you to hear the sense of honor that I have and submission I have for the leadership of Believer's Church. I want you to know that before I ever tell this story. I love Guile and Anna and Jono deeply. And I love and trust them, but also the elders I love and trust. Um, And you're going to hear this story, and that's going to mean more to you after you hear this story. So wanted to frame it with that. So in, um, I, when I came on staff here, uh, I took notes, which isn't normally my style to like speak from notes, but I'm real nervous. I don't want to forget anything. Okay. I had this script in my head when I worked here as children's pastor, and that script had been informed by many conversations, um, even like prophetic words and dreams that the Lord had given me and other people. And that script was that I was being developed to grow into take a different position in leadership at Believer's Church. And in 2017, things had happened, and the script got flipped. Other people got involved, um, and the thing that I had felt like I had been promised, and the thing that I felt, like, truly believed that the Lord was developing me for, didn't happen. And another person was chosen through a long, really tedious, gut-wrenching process for me. I don't think anybody else felt it was gut-wrenching, but it was for me. And that moment was so disorienting. It was so disorienting. It was deeply personal to me because it was attached to two really important things. It was attached to what I felt like my calling was, and it was attached to my church, and that's complicated and messy. And it was attached to people I really deeply loved and considered my friends and maybe felt a little betrayed by. And um, I, the core lie in my life from childhood is that I'm of no consequence. 
in my flesh fully, I believe I'm of no consequence. Lots of things in my life informed me of that. Then I met Jesus and he rescued me, right? And I have a different story, but that lie can be activated in a heartbeat by the brokenness of the world. And in this moment, that lie being of no consequence was activated. And I stayed on staff after that point for a year and really was, every time I came to work or showed up at church, I was swimming in the sea of no consequence. I've been forgotten. I've been abandoned. I've been misunderstood. I'm embarrassed. I was so embarrassed, terribly embarrassed. No one knew, but I still felt real embarrassed around the people that did know. And um, there were two questions that people asked me in that time that really made me want to punch them in the face. (laughs) I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so that happens. Yeah. I'm grateful I didn't get punched in the face at some point during this time, which I deserved. Guile asked asked me both of these questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. One of them was, well, this is an opportunity for you to get closer to the Father and trust Him more. Are you kidding me? You think I didn't trust Him for all of that? You know, like, it just made me really angsty. The other thing was this question, real simple. What do you want? No question is more vulnerable than that. Ask yourself right now, what do you want? Do you want to just tell everybody what you really want? But that second question, what do you want, actually exposed the truth of that first question. Because I don't know that I trusted the Father with what I wanted because what I thought I wanted, I didn't get. And I had to wrestle with, like, can I really trust you, Father, with what I want? Because it seems like you let me down there. And all these people with spiritual authority are saying, ah, they heard from the Lord. Did they? (laughs) You hear the angst? I mean, that's where I was. Sorry, family. You had to live with that. But I I felt that. And I really had to wrestle through those two questions. So I didn't do it very well, and I ended up leaving. I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't like, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I left, I left staff and, um, I went on to do, to do a couple jobs over the next three years. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, when I left staff, there's something like 90, over 90% of people who serve on staff at churches who don't stay at the church, because I can tell you, it is really hard to stay on staff at a church you've served and then you're not on staff anymore, especially with the story I had, right, under the leadership that I was still kind of angsty about. And so uh, the Lord gave me a real clear choice in that season, and he said, you, the choice is yours. You have my blessing to stay or go. You can go if you want, and I'll bless you, and I'll be with you. But if you stay, I'm going to show you something really beautiful. I'm going to show you a new kind of reconciliation that, that you don't think is possible. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't stay because of that promise. Although he gave me that promise, I stayed because my kids were thriving here and they still are thriving here. And well, now they're, they're kids, they're adults now, but, um, at the time they were still children. And, um, so I stayed, I stayed put and in that three years, the next three years, 
I got triggered around every corner. It was hard for me to be here, and, um, and we stayed. I kind of had this thing of like, vindicate me, Lord, vindicate me. Maybe you have something in your life that you feel that way about, like, vindicate me. My favorite song was Defender, about cutting off the head of my enemy, bringing it to me. Do you guys feel me? Yeah, yeah, vindicate most, most, me. Most worship leaders, they keep that out, but you're like, no, emphasize. Ooh, well, yeah. I love yeah. that. I mean, focus on worshiping, being still. No, bring the head of my enemy, you know. So, uh, and this story was one I held really close because I didn't want to cause dissension or whatever amongst the church, or, or I didn't want to cause people to question the leadership. I, I really did lean into the belief that Jesus is the head of his church. Like Guile and Anna and John and the elders, they can't screw it up because Jesus is the head. And so I, I had to, you know, there was some disconnect between how I felt and what I believed was real. Okay. And so a, a dear friend and mentor, Cheryl Booth, is Cheryl here even? Oh, there she is. Cheryl, I didn't tell you I was going to talk about you, but I'm going to talk about you. You okay with that? Okay. So Cheryl very lovingly kept, Cheryl was one person that knew the whole story, the whole story in its entirety. And uh, Cheryl kept prodding me about, I, I feel like you have some more forgiveness to work through. I was like, I have done the hard work of relational reconciliation. I, I'm good. We're good. Guile and I are good. Roger and I are good. You know, the elders, I, I've, I've tried to lean in and work that out. I'm good. And Cheryl was like, no, I, I think. So really for three years, she kept bringing this up real, real patiently and real consistently. And I think what Cheryl saw was this root of bitterness that had taken in me through disappointment. If you have had disappointment, check yourself for this root of bitterness, whether it be against people or against God or against the church. But bitterness is displayed in your life by judgmental thoughts, criticism, cynicism around something or someone. And that, that was very true of me. I did it in a real diplomatic way, but the people who really knew me saw that fruit and that needed to get dug out. And so we, we finally, I agreed to do a sozo. Sozo is not like a magic wand. It's just a great tool to help you work through some places that you're stuck. And I was very stuck in this place. And you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, vindicate me, vindicate me. What if vindication comes through making ourselves nothing? In, in Philippians 2, it talks about how in relationship with one another, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, becoming obedient to death on a cross. Made himself nothing. For me, Sozo was that doorway. I, I, I heard what I had to lay down and Sozo was the way I saw it, the way I saw that story. I had to lay down my interpretation of it. I had to lay down the lies I believed from it. I had to lay it all down. And then it, for those of you who've gone through Sozo, you know that you, you lay those things down and you ask the Lord to show you how he sees it. So it wasn't like I just laid those things down and, and that was where the death was. The resurrection came through how Jesus saw it. 
and mostly how Jesus saw me. I had let that moment define a lot of things. Um, I, I felt lost in a lot of ways. And um, I, I came out of that sozo with a great deal of freedom and joy. A great deal of freedom and joy. Because I now had, um, I, I, I had new eyes to see it right? Jesus had given me some freedom through death. That's where it comes. The resurrection only comes when we've died to something. So what's cool about how, you know, the Lord wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. So in those three or four years up to this point, the Lord had had me do some jobs that I didn't necessarily love, but man, they were training me. They were putting in me something I could have never sought out myself. And um, at the time I did that sozo, I was working with one on one project already. And, and I started to realize, like, this authority he had given me. I thought, I thought he had, like, humiliated me. But really what he did was he, like, set me up with this kingdom authority that I don't even know that I... I function in, but I started to see like the influence he gave me and I could have never, never done what I do right now. I'm actually a voice in our state. And this is not pridefully. This is like, look what the Lord can do. I went from get the head of my enemy to me to like now, you know, now, now my favorite, my favorite song is like, um, I used to damn the desert valleys, but I, but I see that you never forsake me. Maybe you know that song for your good, but, um, um, let me say this real clearly. I get to be a voice for people who feel like they're of no consequence. Do you see what the Lord did with that? He said, not only are you of consequence, but you are to be a voice in the wilderness calling to others who feel of no consequence. You, and I want your voice to go beyond believers church. I did not plan that. Okay. I thought believers church was the end all be all. And yet he's given me this place and this authority, but it, you, you hear me. It came through a lot of suffering and death. The other great joy that I get to do is come alongside the leadership, the current leadership of Believer's Church, and provide some resources and things for them out of the gifts that I, the very gifts that I thought were supposed to be used to be on staff in a certain role. I now get to use those gifts to come alongside and support and help uh, create some systems and infrastructure. I get to do that at Believer's Church. I do that at other churches too, which helps me inform what's happening at Believer's Church. So the Lord like took something that he meant to destroy, you know, that the enemy went to destroy and he turned it into like double fold, you know, in this really beautiful way. And the other thing I will say to you, the long story is so important. The long story of relationship, you guys, is so important. We live in a cancel culture. We're like, mm, somebody hurt me, set a boundary. Not going to do that anymore. You know, that is not the gospel. We are called to live in reconciliation with one another. And that does not happen overnight. 
guile annoyed the crap out of me. You said past tense. That's really interesting. Is that going to stay no, that way? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Only sometimes you annoy me now. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, really, the, the, like, this, the, you know, the friendship that we get to have, the friendship I get to have with Roger and with others in that space is so unique because it's been the long story. Yeah. Yeah. We, we went through hard, hurt places. And I'm not the only one that died to myself. They had to do some dying too, right? And it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. And I can tell you now when I, you know, when we come in and sit in in church, I'm no longer triggered by all the things. Instead, I, I have wept with joy over what the Lord is doing at Believer's Church through his leadership, through the elders, through the, the kids that I've literally seen grow from babies to now adults because he's in the long story. I challenge you to not give over to the convenience of healthy boundaries and leaving. There's, there's truth in that. I think, I mean, I'm a boundary girl. Don't, don't get me wrong. But sometimes those can be used as an excuse to avoid the long story God wants to play out in a relationship. So... To be clear, there's no payments being made to Andrea or anything like this for sharing this testimony. It, it, I know it's absolutely true because <laughs> Andrea and I have gone to the mat many a times. Uh, All while I was praying for his head to be... No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, and listen, listen, th- this is like, I just did some really stupid things over the course of our journey. You know, um, yeah. And, and, but what I've realized is the nature of relationships is you cannot be close to anybody and never hurt them. The only way to never be hurt is to never love. And I, I still remember the first time I met my wife's grandmother. They're all from the Northeast, and they do the kiss thing, you know, the side kiss thing. I'm from Iowa. That's super weird to us, right? <laughs> But I knew this went on, and, and so the first time I met her grandma, she's coming straight at me, and I'm like, which side do you go? <laughs> and I just didn't commit, and we ran into each other, our nose to nose. And so I was immediately, my, my eyes are watering, hers are probably too. And, and that, I think, is a great analogy of just relationship. You just bump noses sometimes, and, you know, I, I made some miscues, and, you know, you know, sold stuff that Andrew's like, sweet, you're selling that. I realized, oh, I can't even sell that. Uh, that's not mine to sell. Um, you know, in, but, but this, this power of, of uh, as you said, relationship, I just feel like there's some spiritual authority that even the, that what Andrea has chosen to do um, is, is not only giving you, is giving our community and, and, and could we even maybe just, let's stand together for a moment. I want you to stay on stage. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Also because I didn't know I was. But <laughs> So if, if this is true, that kingdom authority loses to win, 
And, and the qualifier is so critical for Jesus and his gospel. So I, I'm, I'm saying kingdom authority loses to win to kind of grab your attention, right? Not saying every situation you have to lose to, you know, it's, it's under Jesus' authority, listening to what he's saying for his sake, for his sake. Um, and why? Because there's a resurrection company. We're, we're not masochists that just want to do the hard thing all the time. So there's a resurrection coming and it, and it comes for others too. So the question we're ending with is this, is, is there a place in my life that Jesus is inviting me to lose in order to win? And, and I just feel like this is really, really powerful. This, this is what spiritual warfare is, in case you're wondering. Satan has no authority in our lives except that which we give to him. One of the ways we give it to him is through unforgiveness and dissension. So Satan can only hang out in the areas we say, come and we made a little nest for you. Why don't you hang right here? And so spiritual warfare is forgiveness so that we, we've just said between us, there's no space. I'm so tall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for saying that because it could be that I'm a little short too. So you've seen all my I have children. All my, I have all my tall boots. Yeah, yeah. Sense. You've seen all my children. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the baby of the family, <laughs> even though I'm, I'm the oldest. Um, will you pray over us? Andrea, that, you, that this that the Lord has given you as you've paid the price following Jesus uh, to to win the authority you have to speak for those of us who are in the same spot. Uh, we, we just need the Lord's help. So could you pray for us? Yeah, as I as I was praying, you know, since Thursday afternoon um, to to do this, there there were a couple really important words, and really this is out of my heart that you would experience the same freedom and joy that I got to taste through this. But if you are stuck in a cycle of criticism, judgment, or cynicism about someone or something, the Lord has freedom for you. But it requires you to become nothing. Would you surrender that today? Would you consider giving that over and asking him one question, Jesus, how do you see this? Instead of how do you, how are you interpreting it, right? Um, the the second thing is just the question of authority and that question, what do you want? If you have something holding you back from trusting Jesus with what you want, would you choose to trust him today with even just a little something? And my journey of that question, I asked him for a dog and I got him my dog and I have hundreds of pictures. You can see them. And the Lord gave me what I wanted and I began to trust him. Maybe there's something little that you could say what, what you want. What does the dog have to do with the kingdom? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that my father delighted in me getting that dog. Can you maybe trust him enough to learn what it is to be delighted in by your father? Okay. All right, Jesus, we just pray right now. We, we give you these very delicate, hard things. These things that we've let ourselves and others define instead of you. And we ask for your authority in our life to come and be activated, to be activated with your good, the kind intention of your will towards us, that we might actually believe that's a thing and that exists and we can experience it. So I ask for my friends and family here at Believers Church in the ways that we are stuck outside of submitting to your authority, that you would help us move in line with your authority.
in our relationships with one another. May we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing. And God exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So today, may we do the same thing that you set out to set an example for us. The same promise of your resurrection we embrace. Lead us in the ways that we need to die. And we trust you with the resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we, can we give Andrea a hand for sharing that? So here's the sending prayer. If you're new to Believer's Church, we talk about an Oikos map. We talk about your relational network of people who are far from God. And so we want to be sent into the world from this moment praying for those who God's given us the very, very deep privilege to love. So let's bring their faces to our minds now. And let's pray this prayer out loud together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Go in peace as you love and serve the Lord. Oh, and the life launch thing over there that Shannon said. Uh, Stand in the gap. Fireside room right over here.